Sick or old It is time for midday here on the Rural Radio Network. Scott Foster manning the board right now as we have our cast of suspects. And once again, Jason Jorgensen back with us. Bob Brogan over there. Susan Littlefield over wherever she is. And uh, we are ready to go. <laughs> but where, where are you, Susan? And what's going on today? Well, I tell you, I could be a cast of suspects because I've got donuts, so that always would bring in law enforcement, right? Yes. Um, we are in su- we're in surprise, so that's where we're at today. Uh, lots of crop talk is what you can expect through the midday from the farm team. We'll start out at twelve nineteen with Shaley Peters as she brings in Eric Schultz from BASF to talk about some latest crop updates, and then we'll head over at twelve forty-five to Bruce Gorder bringing in the DeKalb Asgro agronomist bring updates on some crop concerns there, talking a little bugs as well, issues you might be seeing in your fields. And Nebraska welcoming them back once again. The National Junior Hereford Association show is taking place this week at the State Fairgrounds in Grand Island. So Shaley Peters catches up with Hannah Williams to find out her involvement, and you'll hear more about that at 117. All right, lots of stuff always going on in ag. Thank you so much, Susan. Susan, appreciate your time. Jason Jorgensen back in Mike's side, and uh, what do you got going on over there? Well, if you missed it yesterday, uh, Doan University announced a shakeup in their athletic department. Long time, a very successful coach. Matt Franzen really turned that program around after the Tommy Frazier years. Uh, he is moving up to be the AD, and then his longtime defensive coordinator, Chris Bessler, the son of longtime Imperial head coach, right. Chase County coach, uh, Fred. Well, Chris will be the new head coach at Doan moving forward. So that was big news for the Tigers yesterday if you missed it. Also, a couple of Husker basketball players are on the mend this summer. Also, we're waiting to find out what's wrong with, uh, well, a couple of them. As Isaiah Roby actually left one of the workouts this week after jamming his heel in a defensive drill. I didn't even know you could do that. Jam your heel? You can. That sounds Apparently, bad. Serious injury. Also, I'm wondering if uh, I'm glad they've been able to fix the internet after it was broken by LeBron James and his <laughs> announcement on Sunday night that he was headed out to Tinseltown. Well, you know, he has been at least quieter than the first time he made the announcement. That we didn't have an hour long right, special in right. which he announced that he was taking his talents to the West Coast. <laughs> I wonder if they've gotten the sign down in Cleveland. You know. Yeah, I heard they already did. They, they took uh, it down. They they got it down. So I bet you thanks, that was thanks for the memories. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting. Now he gets to see the Golden State Warriors even more, though, in the Western Conference. We'll see. If I did see it. a great tweet though with him going to the Lakers, and they haven't been that great. The good yep. news about that is, is now he'll probably have May and all of June off, <laughs> so he won't have to worry about up. working next year. <laughs> Ah, LeBron James and the balls. That ought to be a lot of fun. Bob Brogan, stock market kind of uh, playing even par right now. Well, it's up a little bit, but it's kind of a wait-and-see type of situation. Also, what's up? Gas prices. Uh But it's not expected to discourage people from doing a little traveling this July 4th. Uh, Also, President Trump looking for motorcycle makers from other countries to move over here after Harley... He's saying it's going to maybe make some Harleys overseas. So that's kind of what's making the news today. Kawasaki's in Kansas. Why not? 
We'll keep going here on Midday as we turn it over to our good friend, Clay Patton. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, joined with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics as we get a mid-market update. And actually today, we're uh, actually talking pretty close to the close of the trade today, Mike. But as we take a look, grains being able to, uh, at least corn and wheat, maintain the green today. Yeah, you're getting a little bit more supportive news out of the NAFTA uh, side of the equation. You know, after President Trump's comments about taking NAFTA all the way through and not getting an agreement until after the midterm U.S. elections, the Mexicans have come out and said in terms of the lead chief negotiator for the new Mexican government came out in the overnight markets and essentially said, look, we're ready to jump in and get a positive outcome and get a new NAFTA deal done as soon as possible. That, in essence, Clay, triggered the currency markets to shift, and we saw the Mexican peso jump about 1.5%. We saw the U.S. dollar break to the downside after testing some light resistance in the overnight. That then, in turn, helped keep the support in the crude oil market, and I think this is what really brought about some short covering and some position squaring going into the end of this early session for the grain markets. And you notice, too, you've got the soybeans a little bit negative. That doesn't surprise me, given that the market had been buying beans against the corn and wheat, I think, yesterday. They're unwinding that position today, I suspect. And then as we look at, the, at how the trade is happening today, we see that the volume of trade is a little bit less than what it is most days as traders are getting ready for a holiday break tomorrow in the markets. Does that give us an accurate representation of the buying under there, or could we see a turnaround on Thursday because of that? I think it gives you a general trend, but I would like to see continued and followed up uh, strength in the market on a bigger volume day, not just Thursday, but especially on Friday, because I think there will be more traders coming back Friday if the weather is an issue and this is where the hotter drier bias is back in the market the crop conditions did see a slight reduction in the corn versus last week of one point good to excellent and two points good to excellent in the soybeans and so i think these become bigger numbers and more important numbers if we can a keep the dollar pressured the crude oil stable and then all of a sudden friday we come back with the hotter drier bias on the models that are that's still intact and the rains that are supposed to be cropping up by friday's close we don't see those cropping up as much. And then as we take a look here at uh, the livestock, cattle being able to hold a green, even with hogs seeing triple-digit gains on some of those front months. Yeah, the, the hogs are seeing a, a little bit of unwinding of the spreads. We've got July up 70, August up 212 points, so you've got an unwinding of the bull spread. This makes sense given the premium that we have in the front end versus the back end and given the fact that this NAFTA news is out. That was probably going to be the best news for the corn and best news for the hogs if i had to guess but you're right the cattle are seeing still some support even on thin volume and i think this goes back to the cash markets finding a little bit more activity yesterday maybe the market was thinking following today we're one day closer to china and uh, the u.s possibly on their latest round of tariff negotiations does that look to possibly overthrow this good news for nafta well, this is where the technicals come into play. I do think, Clay, that the NAFTA is more important than the uh, the Chinese news, especially for the corn and the wheat and the cattle and the hogs. I, I think, obviously, to a lesser degree, the hogs will find uh, more support or resistance buying and selling uh, in China versus cattle. And, and obviously, the soybeans are the big one for the Chinese. But if I had my preference and I couldn't get both, I'd rather have NAFTA before China. 
That is Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, joining us. Make sure you visit globalanalytics.biz to learn more. Mention the Rural Radio Network and get a two-week free trial of Mike's newsletter. Again, globalanalytics.biz. This is the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to get the latest on our uh, ag weather going on around the region, around the world. And uh, Paul, you were having some trouble getting your headphones untied. Are you good now? Or? Oh, yeah. Good. We're in good shape now. <laughs> I was worried about you there. You were struggling. So, well, hot and humid today for sure. It's sticky out there. Definitely on the humid side. Most of us right now at dew points currently in the low half of the 70s. Mm. And anytime it gets to 65 or better, that's when you feel the humidity. So, Adding in some bonus points there for that extra humidity with those dew points currently in the low 70s. You team that up with some temperatures that are mainly in the mid to upper 80s. It's already starting to feel like it's in the low 90s in many of the regions, so Ooh. much of the region this afternoon. We did have a little bit of severe weather last night north of North Platte, right near Stapleton and Ringgold. They had some funnel clouds being reported, but as they did get closer to the ground, they dissipated. Also, some hail and heavy rains that did fill the road ditches there. Otherwise, we will see the potential today in western areas of Nebraska and the west central parts of maybe some severe weather. But the severe threat today, not as great as what we did see yesterday. We do have a slight risk of severe storms towards the northwest corner of the Nebraska Panhandle. That was more so towards the east yesterday. Just mainly hot and humid for most of the area today, all thanks to some south winds off an area of low pressure that's currently centered over western South Dakota. Once again, keeping it breezy, hot, and humid. Could see a few low 100s for actual air temperatures over northern Kansas today. That humidity, though, really adding to the heat. Going to make it feel like, for most of us, in the upper 90s, but we could see some heat index readings right into the low 100s from York to Hebron and Beloit. Some thunderstorms that could go severe right near front from the Pine Ridge through the eastern Panhandle, that is possible later today. Any storms that do develop expected to last into the late evening and then quickly dissipate. Otherwise, some plenty of clouds and also some south winds tonight will keep those temperatures on the warm side, just like we saw last night. Tomorrow looks to remain slightly warmer than normal, mostly dry across the areas. This area of low pressure remains off to our west. But thunderstorms will be possible tomorrow night into Friday. As that area of low pressure in the front slowly tracked to the southeast, some of those storms could go severe, especially something you may want to watch for tomorrow night. Damaging winds will be the main concern, along with lightning for outdoor events. The timing of the storms may impact the fireworks displays, especially if you're out and about for doing that or at a public display, but still a fair amount of uncertainty, so we'll kind of more know more as the day goes on tomorrow. But overall, expecting those thunderstorms most likely later in the night, but it could start to trigger a little bit of activity early on. Now, as that front starts to slow up by Thursday, some heavy rain is uh, possible on a localized basis. Otherwise, the skies will clear for Friday as the low and front depart. We'll have some cooler temperatures in behind it, but then the weekend warms back to more seasonal levels, and it will be mainly dry as the ridge of high pressure starts to move overhead. Now, in central Nebraska, on Independence Day, most of our July 4th end up with afternoon highs in the mid-80s to low 90s with morning lows. Usually in the 60s in the last 30 years, Independence Day highs have ranged from 73 in 1995. That's not a morning low. That's a daytime high on Independence Day in 1995 to as warm as 102 in 2012. 
Low temperatures over the last 30 years have ranged from 48 in 1997 to 75 in 2012 and also 1999. That low of 48 in 1997, the coldest on record, the hottest Independence Day, 1936 with 109. Back in the Dust Bowl era. Now, in the long-term forecast, warmer than normal temperatures are likely in Nebraska, Kansas, and nearly all of the U.S. Sunday through July 16th. Along with that heat will be a likelihood of below normal rainfall in Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through the 16th. In the markets, weather factors include a warming trend for the Midwest and more heat issues in Russia. In the Midwest, mostly below normal rainfall and periods of hot weather are expected the next week to 10 days. That will dry the soils, very wet areas of the northwest Midwest, Expected to benefit from that drier pattern and see some flood water recede. Overall, though, the pattern should favor crop development in the Midwest. In the Southern Plains, scattered rain and varying temperatures this week will offer some relief from the recent stress of the heat. A hotter and drier pattern expected in about 10 days, and that will increase the stress to summer crops. The dry and hot pattern in South Russia will continue and also expand in coverage over the next week. Corn damage appears likely in South Russia. Dry weather also likely in eastern Ukraine, but it probably won't be as hot. Well, they talked about a pretty low uh, wheat crop coming out of Russia, too. So it's a, they're having some issues over there with ag. But, you know, uh, how about Stapleton? They have, they've got uh, funnel clouds, hail, and an earthquake yesterday. Yes, uh, <laughs> maybe the epicenter or something there. <laughs> And they say it's not fun in Nebraska. You can do all of those things. Well, thanks a lot, Paul. For your weather information, where do you go? KRVN.com. It's time again this week to visit with our BASF technical service representative. And we're back this week visiting with Eric Schultz. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Eric, visiting with you this week a day ahead of time because, of course, we've got our 4th of July holiday tomorrow. But this week we're going to jump in. A lot has happened since the last time we talked to you. A lot of rain has fallen across parts of the state. So just give us an update on what we're seeing this point in the growing season. Well, things are looking very, very good. And uh, that goes for both the corn looking fantastic and growing right along very well. And the soybeans, they have really picked up steam um, over the past uh, two, three weeks. Um, certainly, we've had great moisture conditions uh, the last two weeks, and that has been voting very well for our crops. Unfortunately, we've also had some winds and a little bit of hail that has come along with some of those storms, um, and then in some cases, we received excessive moisture. But for the most part, um, like I said, our corn looks fantastic, and our soybeans are really just catching on and picking up steam and things are really looking very well. And so it's very timely then this week we're going to talk a little bit more about our plant health applications in regards to corn. Yes, definitely. And uh, you asked uh, some of the things we're looking out for now. Well, we have had optimal conditions uh, with plenty of moisture and now the temperature is being turned back up. But uh, we've had great conditions for disease development and specifically our most impactful corn disease gray leaf spot and this is a disease that loves temperatures really anywhere between 70 and 90 degrees and it needs at least about 12 hours of moisture to infect our corn plants so we've certainly had the moisture requirement and uh, the temperatures have been there as well so we've had that infection that initial infection of gray leaf spot 
disease in corn. And now I would think that we will start seeing the symptomology develop, which can take anywhere from 7 to 10 days on our corn leaves throughout really a majority of the state. And so, Eric, as we start to really pay close attention to some of these diseases that could uh, pop up and look at our options, I know you've got your guys out scouting for them, you're out scouting for them. What are some of the benefits of using fungicides to address a lot of the issues that they could be seeing here? Uh, yes, we, we really talk about tassel applications of fungicide in corn. And as soon as we get that last branch of that tassel to emerge and, uh, and fold over, then we are at that tassel stage. And we have a lot of corn that's probably either a week or 10 days or some that's two weeks away from hitting that tassel stage. But we also have some corn that's going to be there in the next three or four days. Um, but those fungicide applications at that tassel timing in corn is what we want to do to protect our corn plants, our fantastic-looking corn plants and fields uh, for the rest of the season. And what we want to point towards a fungicide um, application and utilizing Headline Amp fungicide, which we've been using Headline Amp for uh, quite a few years now, and we have fantastic proven results of increasing yields, 12 to 15 bushels here in Nebraska, by making an application of Headline Amp at Tassel. All right, thanks so much. It's Eric Schultz joining us this week, our BASF Technical Service Representative. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time for us to check in on sports. Here's Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Scott. Well, there was a big change announced yesterday at the top of the Doan University Athletic Department. The school announced that Matt Franzen has been selected to serve as the university's next director of athletics. Now, he's been the head football coach at Doan since 2006, and his first action as director of athletics was to name his replacement with a football program. So he has promoted Chris Bessler to head coach. He has served as the Tigers' defensive coordinator the past 11 years and will continue in that role moving forward. Now, Bessler's had a number of different coaching stops, and he spent time as a head coach in Cozad back in the late mid to 1990s. Junior forward Isaiah Roby left this week's Nebraska basketball workout on crutches after jamming his heel during an offensive drill. The returning starter from Illinois will undergo an MRI exam just as a precaution. Also, the Omaha World Herald reported that another junior, Jordy Shimonga, was limited to work on an exercise bike. Six foot eleven center recently underwent a cleanup procedure on a previously injured knee. His timetable for a full speed return is likely in a few weeks. Dodgers ace Clayton Kershaw goes for his first win in nearly two and a half months when he faces off against Pittsburgh in the middle game of a three-game series. Now Kershaw has no decisions in a 2.77 ERA and three starts since going on the disabled list in early May with biceps tendonitis. He returned to start against Philly in late May, but then went right back on the DL with a lower back injury. Kershaw, whose only win this season was against Arizona back in mid-April, Gave up one run and four hits with no walks and six strikeouts and five innings against Chicago in his second start back last Thursday. Well, no surprise here. The lack of a U.S. team has caused a big viewership drop for the World Cup. The 48 group stage telecasts on Fox and FS1 averaged just over 2 million viewers per game. That's down 42% from the 3.5 million average on ESPN, ESPN2, and ABC four years ago, and off 15% on ESPN and ESPN2 from eight years ago. 
At Wimbledon, two-time champion Rafael Nadal moved into the second round with a straight set win. Second seed in Nadal hadn't played a match since claiming his 11th French Open title last month, but he showed little signs of any rust today. He is looking for his first Wimbledon title in eight years, which would also make him just the second man to do the French Open Wimbledon double just three times in the same season. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dave Schroeder. Fireworks injuries are common this time of year. Doctors say sparklers seem to be a source of many of those injuries, and it's no wonder since they get as hot as 1,200 degrees. Jennifer Schmidt, lead nurse at the UNMC Burn Unit, says if someone gets a burn from a sparkler or a firecracker, don't ice it. Use cool water. Go and cool down that area immediately. When you are doing your fireworks, it's a good process just to have a bucket of water out there with you or a hose. So that way, if there is an, if your firework t- catches fire or you have an injury yourself, you can immediately da- douse down the fire or cool the burn off that you get yourself. Burns that come from a sparkler itself can light up to 1,200 degrees. Schmidt says when the sparkler is done, don't throw it on the ground where kids with bare feet can step on them. Instead, put used, sparkers, put used sparklers in a bucket of water to cool them down. UNK football player Preston Hall is in stable but critical condition after a serious car crash Sunday morning. UNK tight end and punter Preston Hall, age 20, was involved in a head-on collision around 10.30 Sunday morning near Thedford. Hall was driving along Highway 83 from Valentine when the two cars collided. First responders had him airlifted from the accident scene to Good Samaritan CHI Health in Kearney, and then he was taken to University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha Sunday night. He is currently still in the ICU, where he remains in stable but critical condition. Hall was a graduate of Schuyler High School in 2015. Lawyers for Arkansas death row inmates are seeking more information about Nebraska's suppliers for the fentanyl it plans to use for lethal injections. The Arkansas attorneys requested in federal court Monday for a judge to order Nebraska to provide information about where its state prison-acquired opioid painkiller it will come for that it'll use in an upcoming execution. The five death row inmates have a pending case in federal court challenging Arkansas's use of midlozapam in executions. The attorney calls fentanyl a more humane alternative to Arkansas's current use of midlozapam, which they say has been linked to several prolonged and torturous executions. The lawyers say Nebraska refuses to provide the information that they need to determine whether the drug could be made available in Arkansas. Three finalists have been sent to Governor Pete Ricketts for an open seat on the District Court Judicial Bench in eastern Nebraska. The nominees are Denise Krachel of Schuyler, Christina Marquin of Seward, and Jason Mihalik of Columbus. I'm Dave Schroeder from the KRVN News Center. Clinic. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. As most farmers know, parts of Nebraska have been hit hard by recent storms. The overall picture, however, doesn't look too bad, but insects are showing up in many fields right now. Kevin Kowalski is a technical agronomist for DeKalb Asgro based in Norfolk, and he talks about the crops in his area. Uh, yeah, Bruce, uh, soybeans, um, they're, they're actually growing pretty fast now. We're starting to see them canopy really nice out there. Uh, you know, we're, we're entering that R2 stage where we're seeing blooms about halfway up that plant. And, 
you know, as weed control goes overall, I, w- I would say we've been pretty fortunate with some of the weed control uh, options that we've had out there. Uh, anybody that seemed like they used Extend or Extendamax or a or a approved dicamba product for beans, you know, we've had some really good weed control out there. But as as we've uh, talked about, Kevin, we've seen a lot of different weather conditions. Uh, there there has been some damage, but the you're, we're, we're looking at the overall picture. You know, if you've got damage on your field, you know what's going on. You don't need us to tell you about that. But the overall picture, it, it sounds like things look pretty decent. Is that correct? Yeah, the overall picture, I mean, the with the crops out there, I mean, if you look at the last, I think, crop update, I mean, in Nebraska, I think we're 85 86% good to excellent in that corn crop and in northeast nebraska we're seeing a lot of that come true i know last year we you know as we exited uh june everything was getting really really dry this year it's almost the opposite we're we're actually really really wet up here so um you know as the corn crop goes i mean i think we're in a really good really good spot um soybeans you know like i said they're they're canopying they're they're starting they're blooming halfway up that plant so everything's looking really good out there uh, as far as uh, insects go for, for corn, you know, that's probably the next thing that we need to start thinking about is, you know, uh, west, or the western bean uh, cutworm are probably going to be soon having their peak flights here. I would say we need to start scouting for those here now all the way through July. Um, they can actually uh, cause some pretty big uh, damage out there. They'll They'll kind of dig into that ear. They'll eat the start eating kernels and you'll start seeing ear rots out of that uh you know usually what we like to consider there is a treatment um around four to five percent egg egg masses out there um and you know there's not a lot of traits as uh traits go and for corn um this year we did release a a trait called tricepta that has a, a new protein in it that's uh designed to help control um the western bean cutworm so that's something to kind of keep an eye out on is your western bean cutworm as we start um, with those peak flights here in about a week. Uh, corn rootworm beetle would be another one that, you know, we're starting to see emerge out there. Uh, you know, the males will come out first. Um, those are the ones that are a little bit more darker in color, a little bit more black on the back. Uh, you know, if you drive up and down the roads, you're seeing a lot of volunteer corn. Um, in the corn fields and also in the soybean fields. And if we didn't get that controlled early, that just, uh, that just, uh, made a feeding ground for a lot of these, uh, rootworm, um, larvae out there. So, you know, that's probably the one of the bigger things, you know, I would kind of keep an eye out on just because you use a traded product out there in that corn field, um, doesn't necessarily mean you won't see beetle come in there. And, you know, when those beetle emerge, they'll, uh, They'll start, you know, feeding on the leaves or scraping the corn leaves is what is what we call it. And you'll see these tracks up and down those leaves and um, until the silks emerge. And then once the silks emerge, that's when we really want to start uh, watching those rootworm beetle because if we have usually five or more per plant, we'll see uh, threshold damage with um, them clipping those silks halfway back to that year. Another thing you want to keep, and if you're uh, looking for next year, you want to make sure we're going out there and uh, controlling them for next year as well. You know, usually that threshold, you know, we say is one to two beetle per plant, and that would uh, cause damage if you didn't use any control tactics for for the the next year um, going into 2019. 
Um, the other thing that I think if everybody's looking at, you know, uh, UNL Crop Watch, I think just put out an article, it's Japanese beetles. And, you know, last year these things uh, caused quite a bit of damage out there, um, probably more so eastern Nebraska. Uh, these are beetles that, you know, they're emerging right now. You can see them in soybean fields. You can see them in corn fields, your landscaping, um, your plants outside, gardens. And, and they can be a pretty big pest out there where they just defoliate leaves. And in the soybean field, you know, if if, we're, if we have them high enough, I mean, we'll need to treat them. Uh, that's, you know, usually around that 20 to 30% leaf defoliation. And, you know, the other thing I tell guys that, you know, I'll get pictures and stuff is we don't want to confuse them with a sand chafer, which is a beetle too, but uh, the sand chafer doesn't really do any damage out there, and they look pretty similar. And probably the only way to tell them apart is the Japanese beetle will have these little white tufts kind of on the underside of them, and it'll go all the way around that beetle and stuff. There'll be a little white hair. So That's Kevin Kowalski, DeKalb Asgro Technical Agronomist, based out of Norfolk. And I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Date on the Rural Radio Network. An early close to the day shows corn just a few pennies from the high along with wheat while soybeans settle closer to the lows. Cattle end up mixed on the day while late hogs triple digit gains towards the front months. September corn closing at 352 and three quarters up five and three quarters. December 365 even up six. March 375 and a quarter up five and three quarters. May 382 even up five and a half. August beans at 848 and a quarter down five and a quarter just two pennies from the low at 846 and three quarters. September at 853 even down six and a quarter, a quarter from its low. November at 864 and a quarter down five and a quarter. January at 874 even, that's down four and three quarters. September, Chicago wheat 490 and three quarters, up ten and a half. December, 506 and a half, up nine and three quarters. March at 521 and a quarter, up eight and three quarters. September, Kansas City wheat 484 and three quarters, up 14. December, 507 even, up 13 and a quarter. March at 525 and a half, up 12 and three quarters. Turning the page to the livestock, August live cattle settling at a buck forty at a buck six forty five down forty five. October to buck ten ten up twenty five. December to buck fourteen fifteen up thirty seven. February to buck sixteen seventy two up twenty two. August feeder settling at a buck fifty two eighty up eighty seven. September to buck fifty two sixty up forty seven. October to buck fifty two twenty two up thirty. November to buck fifty two twenty up twelve. Uh, August lean hogs at seventy six even up a dollar sixty two. October at fifty nine seventy seven up a dollar twenty. December at fifty six oh two up a dollar fifteen. And February at sixty two fifteen up ninety seven. In the outside markets currently, the Dow Jones Industrial Average down one hundred thirty two points at twenty four thousand one seventy four. The Nasdaq is off sixty five at seven thousand five oh two. And the S and P off fourteen at two thousand seven thirteen. This is the Rural Radio Network. You remember how it was, gathering in the shadow of Chimney Rock, taking a wagon ride, then lining up for the most delicious Nebraska beef steak, seasoned green beans, baked potato, and sourdough bread. And now, Legacy of the Plains is recreating the event on the grounds of the museum, Saturday, August 25th. Gates open at 5, dinner bell rings at 6. Then stay if you wish for the music of Chansey Williams and the Younger Brothers Band. The dinner will sell out fast. Get tickets at 308-436-1989 or legacyoftheplains.org. 
In today's fast-paced world of agriculture, producers need accurate market information they can trust. Our program, The Fontenelle Final Bell, gives you a chance to ask the experts your marketing questions. I'm Susan Littlefield with the Rural Radio Network. Join us for The Fontenelle Final Bell podcast each trading day as we dig deeper into the factors shaping the day's market activity. Tweet your questions to RRN Markets and catch The Fontenelle Final Bell podcast updated each weekday afternoon at ruralradio.com. You can also search Rural Radio on iTunes and tune in. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network as we get our closing livestock comments here from Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. And Joe, as we take a look here, kind of a mixed sleepy close here for the cattle, but Lean Honk showing a little bit of bullishness with triple-digit gains in the front months. That's correct. Uh, well, the hogs, uh, you know, got a nice little burst, uh, basically from the uh, cutouts, which were sharply higher at noon. And uh, that really helped uh, matters. Uh, cash was actually about steady, uh, maybe a little bit better, and also helping uh, in the hogs. So a pretty good, uh, pretty good finish there uh, with some triple-digit gains, uh, particularly in the uh, mid-summer, uh, early fall months. Over the cattle, uh, kind of a mixed bag. Uh, we had the August close a little bit lower, the rest of the months a little bit higher. Been a pretty quiet uh, trade, just back and forth all day long. A little selling late in the uh, in the session uh, on the August contract. I think uh, for two reasons: uh, the sharply lower uh, cutouts at noon, uh, and then uh, uh, really no cash sales. And so we kind of fell back to where uh, the median of the trade was last week. Uh, the rest of the months moderately higher, and in in a Pretty quiet trade. Feeders also pretty quiet, a little bit higher, uh, just a uh, meandering trade. Still a lot of uh, uh, thought that uh, cattle will be better in the fall, so the feeders seem to be uh, uh, signifying that by their trade. That's Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, joining us. Call Joe at 1-800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. The National Junior Hereford Association Show is back in Grand Island, Nebraska this year. I'm Shaylee Peters with you on the Rural Radio Network. Good afternoon. We visit here with Hannah Williams, who's on the board serving in her first year. But Hannah, you also are from Nebraska. So talk about what this experience is like having it back in your home state and what that first year looked like for you serving on the board. So I got elected to the junior board last year in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was so ecstatic to be on the board. I serve a three-year term, and this has been a lifelong dream of mine to be on the board. So this past year, I was involved in going to many national shows. I went back to Louisville in November for the North American, and that is noticed as one of our national Hereford shows. So I represented the board there, and then I went to Kansas City, in November also and then in January I went to the Denver Stock Show and represented us there and also in April I went to the Youth Beef Industry Congress in Wooster, Ohio where all of the junior boards get together and have a nice leadership conference and that was a lot of fun getting to know many other breed boards so it's been very busy. (laughs) And while the livestock shows are definitely the highlight there's so much that goes on outside of them throughout the week touch on the different aspects of what will be going on all week long and over a holiday as well 
Yes, so we kind of kicked off with a little bit of our contest. We had speech contests, and then we also had scholarship interviews in the morning, which the scholarships through this Hereford Youth Program are amazing, and all of the sponsors here. And then we also had the 5K race, and then we have the CHB grill-off contest where they grill actually Hereford beef and do a little skit with that. And we have team and individual sales and I mean there's everything under the moon that you can imagine here judging contests and then on Wednesday we start with our actual showing so we will be doing um, showmanship on Wednesday the 4th of July and then that night we are excited that we will be having a huge tailgate party in each state gets to represent themselves and bring their own food from their states so you get a little taste of each state that's here there are 39 states represented so I think that's really cool to get to know each and every one of those. And then we will also go into the show on Thursday, the Bread and Own show, where a, an exhibitor actually bred that cow and then that cow had the calf. And you are showing that calf and that cow, whether it's any age you can really imagine there. And then you are going into Friday and Saturday with the Own show, where they either purchased it or they have bred it and now they own it. And so as things really ramp up for you this week, Hannah, as a board member and also as an exhibitor, and then also as you look at the next two years serving on the board, what does that look like for you? Well, we are going to be excited to see more growth as it is growing every year. It's, it's awesome how many kids want to be involved in this great breed, but we are really going to have to look at how we can manage it and where we go next. Next year, we are going to be in Denver, Colorado, out at the stockyards and then from there, we are looking at many other buildings, but there are not many places we can go anymore. So just being on the junior board and representing the junior membership, I really want to get to know as many kids as possible. I know that's really hard with as many kids that we have here and almost 2,000 head of cattle and almost 1,000 kids. But I really try to strive to get to know each kid and at least a few from each state just because that's this is the time that I make the connections in my life. So having those connections forever is something that... I really, really enjoy. It's Hannah Williams, board member of the National Junior Hereford Association, as they have their show back in Grand Island this week. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Play Patton on the Rural Radio Network as we take a look here at our end of the trading day here on a shortened day prior to the 4th of July holiday. Overall for our grains, a positive day throughout as we see corn as well as wheat being able to end well within the green. Chicago and Kansas City, we both seeing uh, months in the double-digit gains. Some front months on Kansas City, 14 to nearly 15 higher. Minneapolis also ending in the green, but not quite the double-digit range. Soybeans kind of the loser on the day, down a nickel to uh, five and three quarters on a lot of some uh, other months down four to four and a half, four and three quarters. So kind of a mixed day overall there. Kind of go back to our conversation. We had midday with Mike Zuzolo talking about what we see here. Overall, though, still see a real light volume of trade. Let's go ahead and open up the December corn contract here. Uh, only seeing about uh, 95, 96,000 contracts move across the board today, which sounds like a lot in some aspects, but overall a fairly light day of overall volume trading where there's nearly 800,000 contracts open in the December contract. 
So as we take a look there, kind of a light volume day of trading, but still seeing some positive technicals and a lot of that going back to possible NAFTA news as the presidential front runner in the Mexican presidential races. Sounds like he wants to play ball and wants to be uh, to get NAFTA completed and moving that forward. So where he wants to do that, that really helped rally the Mexican peso. It was up over a percent overnight. It's also helped to restabilize the U.S. dollar index, pushing up towards that $95 limit once again yesterday. Today we see it off with a new low around 94.28, currently off 44 points. So that really helping them. Another interesting fact when we want to talk currencies is the is the Chinese yuan. It tumbled overnight as well, and this again coming back to trade tensions between the U.S. and China. That could be also what we're seeing a little bit affect the soybeans, but overall it's fallen nearly a percent against the U.S. dollar here just this week, and as we continue to see, it's lost nearly 3.6% in the last month, and it was up 3.2% prior to that. So really the Chinese yuan taking some hits overall, but the Chinese Central Bank, they say that they may come in to the rescue for China if this continues, and uh, they don't want to let that currency really start to snowball on its way down. So currently the index in uh, Shanghai dropping more than 1%, uh, but they uh, kind of have another half a percent look there that they're keeping a close eye on. So we could see the Chinese Central Bank start to move in there and uh, start to help slow its currency. What that'll do to the overall trade, I'm not 100% sure, but an interesting concept here in the uh, financial markets for sure today, especially in those currencies, seeing the rebound in the U.S. peso as well as the U.S. dollar and the Chinese yuan continue to battle it out. The euro also higher today as well as the Japanese yen. As we can take it as we take a look there, and again, a positive day overall here in the grain trades, except for soybeans as they were a little bit lower. Again, could be a little bit of unwinding between the corn-soybean spread as well. This is the Rural Radio Network.